Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I am Jeff Siegel with the Mad Money, Mike Turpin. Mad Money. You like that? I like that, dude. <laughs> Screw the psychedelic athlete. I'm going Mad Money. What if we go the psychedelic athlete, dot, 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 Mad Money, Mike Turpin? I like it. What, what, does, do people have like nicknames for you? I don't know, I've never said a nickname for you. No, you know, I had the only nickname, well, there's a couple nicknames that never really stuck. So yeah. my buddy Carlos, and we talked to April Flores, that was her husband, before he died, he and I used to hang out all the time, and I remember being at his house one day, and he was talking to his friends, like, yeah, come over, watching the fight, uh, and I heard the dude on the other thing, who's going to be there, and he's like, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so, he's like, white boy Jeff, and I was white boy Jeff, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I guess, I, so I didn't realize this, that like, like all these people were calling me White Boy Jeff because I was basically the only white dude in the room when he watched the fights. Yeah. Because um, he used to get the Tyson fights all the time. So White Boy Jeff, but I didn't really know about it. Um, we had a joke in the band. Jason Stepp made up all these funny names for us. Yeah. Uh, and I was Silky Pearls. Silky Pearls. <laughs> I like that. But that yeah. never stuck either. And I think that's, unfortunately, I never had. Were you ever like the, uh, you know how like when you're the blank per you being Jewish, has anyone ever made a nickname of that or no? Like you're the white guy in the in the non-white circle or the whatever, yeah. but have you ever been the Jewish guy before? No, well no, no, I actually one time, and <laughs> Carlos and I were at a meeting, we were in LA, and he was taking a meeting with um, somebody that he was doing some work for, and we had recently saw an episode of Crime and, Crime and Order, or what, Law and Order, Law and Order. Um, with uh, Richard Belzer, and iced tea. I think that's the show that they're on. I'm, I'm 99% sure, but I know that, yeah. And so they were in there, and the scene, Richard Belzer walks in, and he's talking to this dude, and iced tea's just sitting in the back, not saying anything. And a couple minutes go by, and the guy goes to Richard Belzer, he's like, who's that in the back? He goes, oh no, I'm sorry, switch, I'm sorry, switch this, switch this, I fucked it up. So he's talking to iced tea, and Richard Belzer's in the back of the room. Right. And he, and he goes to iced tea, he's like, He's like, who the hell is that? He's like, that's my Jew. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, I thought it was funny. Yeah. And we were at a meeting one time with this guy and, uh, and a similar thing happened. You know, he was talking to him and I was just kind of sitting in the office. I just gotten in from, from Baltimore. So I was, I was kind of tired because um, I had been up a lot. So I was sitting there kind of dozing off while they're talking. And uh, he's like, he's like, oh, who's this? And he's like, oh, he was, that, that's my boy, Jeff. He's like, who? He's like, that's my Jew, Jeff. That's my Jew. I <laughs> love that. And I wasn't offended, but I thought it was kind of oh, funny. Yeah. We were just joking about it. Because he and I both saw that episode. And I'm not, listen, I, I don't get offended by shit. That if it's if it's meant in good I love it. It's endearing. Like, when somebody's willing to say something, like, that could be seen as offensive, but they do it in, like, a friendly, like, I love you sort of, like, you're my guy right. sort of way. I don't care what yeah, you yeah. say. I know what you mean by it. Like, we, Joey Diaz is a good example. Like, Joey Diaz is the first guy. Who knows what he's going to call you? I don't want to I don't want to give you the... Yeah, I, that's, that's, a, that's putting it lightly. Like, he's going to gravitate towards... If you're gay, if you're black, uh -huh. if you're the Jewish guy, he's going to go hard in the paint, dude. That's Joey Diaz. And, like, it's endearing. Now, if somebody does it because it's like they're doing it to knock you down a peg right. and like uh let's go right. well then that's different uh i know we have normal like, kind of libertarian stuff to talk about <laughs> but I, the nickname thing this is a funny uh side thing i don't i think i told you this but i used to do rap battles 
Did I tell you this? You did not tell me. Oh this. my god, I gotta send you. Uh, there's a video of me with. I mean, I, there's like rap battle videos of me, but there's a really cool one, and this is like an example. I was like with this group of guys, all of them were rappers in the scene, uh -huh. and we had a music video, and it's what you call a uh, cipher. And yeah, a yeah. cipher is essentially you're spitting 16 bars right. and you just pass it around and you just do it over a beat. And, and we planned it. I mean, it was a recorded song, but it was just like a promo thing for all of us individually. I think five or six of us, but we're all like in the music video, we walk in and it's like the one guy comes in and it pops up codes. The next guy, SK, the next guy. Uh, found missing the next guy. Everyone's got their rap name, right? right. And then it's me and it's Mike Turpin. <laughs> I never had a rap name. I'm like, I want to check. I want to put this uh, recording thing, and then we'll get uh, recording is good. But I forgot to put it back into airplane mode, just because I don't want, I don't want a chance of us getting kicked off. So recording right. is good, but it's an audio only podcast. Uh, today which is a, it's a cool feel it's also we didn't mention it's our first time being right. in person the only other time we have ever been in person was not in a way that we actually you didn't know who I was and I never talked to you before I have seen you countless times yeah. through my youth but this is our first time actually meeting uh, in the flesh so it's fun um, I know we have normal stuff to talk about Jeff uh, was looking up stuff and he said that it was uh, a lengthy um, list of things that happened in the week. Another thing that to talk about that, that you'll probably find cool, it's cool to have a conversation. Like Zoom is nice because you kind of take turns. Right. You can have like monologues. This we can have a conversation. I mean, not that you don't take turns, but like you, it's easy to not worry about talking over. There's no delay. Right, good point, yeah. Having yeah. a conversation with in person is cool. Um, I like the way we do it on Zoom, but it's nice to just speak and you don't have to worry about cutting each other off when it's your turn, you know? Right. So. Cool. Yeah, it's funny. I meant to say that too before we started. I was going to say, hey, coming at you live because we really yes. are fucking live this time. Yes. <laughs> In the flesh. <laughs> no, it's a good point. It's, um, it's funny. We've been doing this for a couple of months now. Um, yeah. And a few months. And it's the first time we've actually done it live mm -hmm. uh, in the same place. Um, yeah, it was weird. There's a lot of stuff that happened this week. Um, typically before we do these podcasts, you know, I take like a half hour, I go online, I see what, what are we going to talk about? Um, <clears throat> but then, uh, I, you know, I was lazy today. I said, I'll just yeah. fucking look shit up when I get there. But fortunately, every time I see something interesting, I always tweet about it. Um, cause I'm that kind of person. I'm that guy. Yeah. So you can't shut up. Gotta say shit. The one thing I really, I definitely wanted to bring up is last week was the 50th anniversary of the war on drugs started by Nixon. Okay. Um, and it did not get much coverage. I mean, the war on drugs, at least in the, the version that was started by Richard Nixon, has been around for 50 fucking years. It's 50 years mm -hmm. of just, has proven to be the costliest and deadliest war in American history. And we're not talking about it. I thought that was crazy. That's fascinating. So here's a question for you. News sources. What do you think the, I don't want to say the spin, but maybe the view, what is the average news outlet? Maybe let's say, does Fox News, what do they say about the war on drugs? If they were to yeah. talk about it, what would they say about it? It depends who it is. Point. So like I've seen um, Tucker Carlson, he'll say something like, 
Yes, you know, it should, you know, we shouldn't make it illegal. And he's trying to play the whole conservative, you know, we don't want the government in our space all the time. But he always follows up with, you know, I think it's stupid. Why would you want to do that to yourself? You know, it's a gateway drug. And he like plays all the propaganda. So he's trying to play both right. sides. With weed. With weed. Okay. Yeah. Now, in general, is there much popular media coverage? Because, I mean, one thing that, that we both definitely agree on we're, we're of the the view that um a lot of murder a lot of corruption a lot of bad things has mm -hmm. happened as a result of the world drug world drugs probably would put it up there as one of the biggest issues with with racism there's so much it it's caused so so much not even just in our own country but in the way we relate to other countries the way mm -hmm. we create war it's deep i'm yeah. not saying I don't know what I believe as far as the level of corruption, but it's obviously been a thing that's been corrupted to the extreme. Have you ever heard that spin or have you ever heard that view taken outside of alternative sources? Like, have you ever seen CNN break down the racism involved in the war on drugs? Only when it's, um, when it, it fits their narrative at the time. Right. So like AOC has talked about it. So if they're talking to AOC and it comes up, she might say something. Um, yeah. But they've not been particularly uh, upfront about the realities of the war on drugs, which I think is kind of interesting because they tend to lean left. And you'd think that would be an issue that they would really press. Yeah, that's why I brought up CNN. That's what yeah. I thought is I don't because I don't know what it's been a long time since I've paid attention to any sort of mainstream news thing. I mean, we'll probably go back to the last time I watched CNN or Fox News regularly, which I used to put them on all the time in the background, mm. would have been... Probably like 2008, I definitely did a lot. Maybe again a little bit 2016. Okay. Those were the two election years that I paid attention. But no, 2016, we'd probably be talking more like I would throw on AM radio. I would hear like uh, – I'd try and get like – or I'd listen to NPR some, but but even mm -hmm. WBA – we have WBAL around yeah. here. And, you know, I would just hear their takes. But I don't know. I don't know how in tune you are. You at least see the uh, the articles that get shared, right? right? Like you see maybe the online side of things. Do you, are you, do you say you're in tune with what is the common view of like mainstream? Like, like, I guess we got CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. What, what is the, are those the three big ones? Yeah. I mean, then you have like the Washington Post and New York right. Times. Like the now the New York Times, the newspapers might be willing to put an put something out there about maybe things like corruption and racism and war on drugs, right? Yeah, but it's like it's not consistent. See, that's the weird thing about the war on drugs. It's it's like a huge burden for us, you know, for this country in terms of the money that we spend on it, the lives lost, the, the injustice, the loss of freedom and liberty. It's a very big issue, and people kind of. They'll talk about it and they'll say, "Oh yeah, Jeff, I agree with you." But it's to me, it's like higher up on the on the the echelon of like what we need to be talking about. Someone asked yes. me, I was on this libertarian podcast called uh, Punk Rock Libertarians a couple of years ago, and uh, they were asking me like, what, "What do you think the the biggest issue is right now?" And I don't remember what the second was. It was like one issue, and then it was like the war on drugs. <clears throat> and they said, "Really, you think that's the biggest issue?" And I said, "Well, think about what the war on drugs does." Okay. It disenfranchises a lot of people. It fills up our prisons. It is an attack on liberty. It's an attack on personal sovereignty. The, the amount of money, we've spent over a trillion dollars 
fighting this war. This is all tax money. Millions of people have been killed because of the war on drugs. It can be argued that it increases problems uh, in terms of crime and addiction rates. So it's a huge, like, there's a lot that spawns from the war on drugs. And it's not as simple as, why shouldn't I be able to smoke weed because I want to? I mean, that's a exactly. part of it. But it's so yeah. much bigger than that. And I really wish people, I wish they would take it more seriously. I think the only news outlet that I think has been consistent on this is Reason Magazine, which is okay. a libertarian-leaning yeah, yeah. magazine. My, see, it sucks that I made the position shift in ways to being somebody that partakes in the game of, of drugs. You know, I mean, at least by the war on drug standards, when it comes to like, you know, the, 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 the plants and the stuff that, uh, the, between the, the, the marijuana and the psychedelics that I've done, because people immediately think you care about this because you do it. Right. Right. But I was very, very, very strongly like saying before I ever did anything like that, this is such a huge issue. Mm -hmm. This is such a big problem. When, when you're talking to people that don't have any vested interest for their own personal use, what, what, what do you, what can you say? Like, what is it that you think should change people's minds? Is there anything specific? I mean, I know we don't have like stats in front of you or whatever, mm -hmm. but when you hear about the amount of people incarcerated over it, the amount of lives, like think about all the people, I mean, who get, get shot and get, get killed. And then the fake drugs, because they're, I'm not saying the war on drugs literally ending it means that you need to just totally make everything legal right off the bat mm -hmm. and just say it's a free for all, but between the fentanyl, it's a... There are so many layers deep. Is right. there more that I'm that I'm missing as far as incarceration is a big deal, right? Um, you, you know, and then uh, the fact that it it makes gang violence, dr uh, drugs, the the black market sort of mm -hmm. side of things, fake drugs, people dying from all that, non regulations, and all that those sort of dangers. What what would be like the the way to convince somebody who doesn't think it's a big deal and doesn't do any, doesn't have, doesn't have any interest in doing drugs. How yeah. would you sell it? So I think it depends on the person. And this is one of those issues that I feel like should bring the parties together, should bring right and left together because there's a, there's a way to play it on both sides. So if you're on the left, the first thing I would say is the, raci the, the, the racial impact, the, you know, the fact that people of color bear the brunt of the drug war. You know, more, more people of color are incarcerated because of drugs than white people. More communities of color have been impacted by the war on drugs than white communities. To me, that would appeal to them. Right. To the right, I would say, think about all the tax dollars that are going to fight this war. Trillion, again, trillions of dollars. How many prisons do we have to keep building and filling up? And you're fucking paying for this. If you're anti-tax or you don't like all your money getting, you know, your pay getting taxed, this seems like a pretty easy way to relieve some of that tax pressure. Um, and also just taking some of the, uh, taking, taking, I mean, it sounds horrible, but I know like on the right, it's, it's very big to be anti-immigrant uh, or I don't know what the word we're using now, but you know, it's like, you know, build well, the you wall. ask them. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, know, right? <laughs> build the wall and keep out the immigrants and stuff. Like you do realize if there was no way for these gangs to make money off of drugs, you know, 
yeah. um, it would be a lot more difficult for them to survive. Now, they would find other things, obviously, but the, the, their money comes from drugs. I mean, that's where most of the cartels get their money is from drugs. So if you end the, their ability to supply and demand, you're going to impact their ability to survive. And you're going to, and if you think about the people that come to this country from South America, they come here because they're fucking, they're going to, they're afraid of dying. And typically they're afraid of dying because the gangs in their areas are going to kill them if they don't play along. And the gangs exist because of the drugs. Right. So it's kind of like, it's, it's sad because people are very quick to just immediately think drugs are bad. You know, we need to okay. help. You know? Sorry. But it's like you said, I mean, it's so, it's so much deeper than that. I really, it would be nice if we could come together. Because Judd was talking about, we had Judd on last week and he was talking about that. Like there are things that we should be able to come together on. And I think this is one of those things. Yeah. But then I start thinking about it. Why haven't we done that? Like yeah. what's keeping us? You know, like you'll see Democrats that'll say, you know, well, we want to end the war on drugs. But I don't, like I hear a lot, of, I hear a lot of talk, but I don't see much action. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about, there was an article, actually, I can pull it up. It was, um, so Biden has been very quiet about legalization. You know, he doesn't want to legalize. He doesn't want to decriminalize. He's old school, you know? Yeah. And the people around him are like, dude, you should do this, you should do this. And he's kind of dragging his feet because he doesn't want to do it. Now, he's the one talking about racial justice and, you know, um, criminal justice issues. It is not fucking rocket science to figure out ways to fix this problem, at least one of the ways, and that is to fucking decriminalize drugs. So there's a big gap between Joe Biden and rocket science, though. I mean, Joe Biden, I think, lives in space. But yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But, you know, but see, that's the thing, too. Like, I, you know, I don't. That's the thing with Biden. It's like, and that's one of the reasons I didn't like him is because he's an old school politician. You know, he's not going to change his stripes. He, there was a thing, the thing I wanted to pull up earlier is that um, this article, the headline is Biden's silence on execution as to death penalty disarray. So he has an opportunity to do something about the death penalty. I don't know what your thoughts are on the death penalty, but if you are supposedly interested in criminal justice, racial justice, you cannot look at a, at, at the at, at uh, death row or, or the death sentence and be like this is fair how many people have we found out later because of dna evidence oh they didn't fucking right. kill that person but they've been on death row for 30 years yeah my, i mean if, if i had to say my my take i would say well at the very least at the very least it shouldn't be a jury's decision as to whether or not you die. Mm -hmm. Like if it's so up in the air as to whether or not you did it, that a jury is going to be the deciding factor between whether or not you live. No, absolutely mm -hmm. no way. Like let's see what these jury of 12 people or whatever yeah. come, come together and your whole life rides on that. I mean, I know life in prison isn't that much better, but I mean, I, I would definitely say no way. You need harder evidence than that. You need, whether it's an admittal, whether you have a, irrefutable, I don't know how all that works. Well, that's the problem yeah, too with admittals. You, how many times have the, not, he, the people been coerced into something and they didn't do it? And there's proof yeah. of this happening. I'm not a death penalty supporter. I'm just saying it's one. Of, it's kind of like how I am with the war on drugs. You ask me what I think. I don't yeah. think there should be anything illegal. Do I think that tomorrow they should just say make everything legal? I don't know what I think, but like there's a very, very, very small margin of the death penalty that I would even consider if I was considering uh, my stance. Let's put it that way. So I have yeah. a weird thing on that. So I'm pretty much anti-death penalty. Yeah. Because again, it's like for a number of reasons, but I think primarily 
there's too many times that people have been put on death row that were innocent. I saw a documentary about this. You did? Yeah. Death, yeah. some death, with, I forget what it was, yeah. but keep going. Deadline, maybe. Okay. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it's like you can't trust the criminal justice system. Especially, again, not to keep beating this drum, but like if, if you're a person of color and you get, like, if, if I was a black guy and I got arrested and they were like, dude, we think you killed somebody, I'd be like, oh, I guess I'm dead. Because yeah. historically speaking, I'm fucked. You know? White people don't want to get that. I, it's nice that I think it's nice. I think to bridge the gap. I think it's the, the racial thing is something libertarians and more non ultra left people need to talk about mm -hmm. because they need to hear it from people that don't just cling to that. Like I'm not somebody that that goes out there and just says, "Well, everything is racism, everything uh -huh. is sexism," but. God, if there's not an obvious thing with know, right? the war on drugs and right. race. And and uh, it's so crazy. Um, I don't want to cut you off too. If you no, finish no. with... Yeah, another thought I had, it's like like we were talking about the, the war on drugs and all that. It's crazy that if you talk to the average person and you try to explain to them that, the, that, that crack is just a smokable form of cocaine, mm -hmm. they don't understand. It's like, no, it's literally the same exact drug, right? But, but back when this all came out, we treated crack like it was the worst thing ever. Right. Meanwhile, all of your bosses and all of these rich people uh -huh. and all this stuff, they're doing cocaine. I mean, if that the stigma of cocaine in the 80s versus crack cocaine. Oh yeah. That all that is is racism. And it was it was propaganda a lot of times. It wasn't just racism. So people's view on crack versus coke um, isn't just as a result of racism, it's a result of the push. There was a push to make these drugs seem like X, and then this drug gets to seem like Y. Meanwhile, they're the same fucking drug. You know, there's. I'm not a big conspiracy guy, but sometimes I'll hear things and I'm like, this doesn't seem out of the realm of possibilities. So yeah. there's, the, there's the, the theory that the CIA basically came into these neighborhoods, filled it with crack. There's the Ice Cube song. He says... Uh, um, bomb the neighborhoods, then put the crack in. You know, right. it was like they destroyed those neighborhoods with crack. Now, I don't know what happened, but to, if someone said that this was done um, intentionally, I don't find that not, I, 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 I find that not that hard to believe. That's the, that's the stance to have. You can't, see, if you know enough about the, the way the history our government has, has worked mm. as far as stuff like that, it's not out of the realm of possibility that something like that right. happened. I mean, you can't just believe it because people say it. Right. But absolutely, that's possible. One of the biggest ones, like if, if you're listening and you are remotely interested in the war on drugs and hearing different perspectives, Freeway Ricky Ross is oh, the yeah. one to hear. Yeah. You, you gotta, I mean, I'm sure you've heard him talk or you oh, know, I know enough. Yeah. Like Rick... The two people, and it's of course it's Joe Rogan written people, like it's people I found via Joe Rogan, but hearing Rick Ross talk about, not the musician or rapper or whatever, hearing Rick Ross talk about the war on drugs and then also Carl Hart, the guy who, you know, basically talks about, his big thing is he talks about stigma in drugs, that there's nothing that makes heroin worse than Oxycontin, worse mm -hmm. than... The even Tylenol, right? Like if you can look at them all as potentially lethal things, you can look at them and, and rank their addictive properties, but the stigma is what makes crack cocaine crack cocaine mm -hmm. and makes cocaine cocaine. Right. 
Both of them can cause heart attacks. Both of them can cause severe addiction. Both of them can make you steal from your family members. Mm -hmm. Both of them can run all your money into the ground, all the same. Now, granted, they're both illegal, but but the big difference really is this, the stigma and the placement as far as the the pop the types of people that you associated with. Right. And he breaks it down for those who don't know to the point where he literally would say that of why what's the big problem with doing an opioid recreationally or occasionally or even as or even as a functioning thing if we can take Adderall, which is prescribed amphetamine. Mm -hmm. Which and at the highest level, pretty much. I mean, that is some serious amphetamine. Mm -hmm. That's what addicts like. Addicts like the stuff that you get prescribed. Yeah. So if you can be prescribed to be operating on something and essentially be a functioning addict, you're essentially, it's your thing. You operate on Adderall. I don't think, I think when you get prescribed Adderall, they pretty much tell you to take it in the morning so you're on Adderall until you go to bed. It's an addict, right? Yeah. That's a hardcore addict. Yeah. Alcoholics, a good, a good, Functioning alcoholic might wait till they get home from work to get, you know, their buzz on too heavily. Right. Like if, if I told you I had a little bit of like, like one drink before I left the house and then one drink every few hours at work, you'd be like, Mike, what the hell dude. Right. But that's what happens when you get prescribed a drug, you get prescribed something for pain. They want a lifelong plan mm -hmm. of a drug that is also the same thing that an addict wants on the street. So Carl Hart, you know, kind of given the background, it's, it's interesting to hear somebody talk about, you know, well, why is heroin worse? I mean, is it because you're shooting the opioid instead of taking it orally, instead mm -hmm. of snorting it, instead of like, what makes it so much worse? And it's hard. I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, I don't know if I like what this guy's saying. Like, hold <laughs> on, wait, what? And the more I've thought about it, it's like that stigma we don't realize how much the stigma is everything. I mean, the, one time, uh, one, I, I can't remember what it was. Somehow, I don't even know if it was on the podcast. Somehow, I don't know if it was Xanax or something for anxiety or mm -hmm. something got brought up. It's like, that is a serious drug. And you can go to the doctors and get that. Yeah, I have Xanax. I fucking love Xanax. You can take it for the rest of your life, right? I wouldn't just because... No, no, but can you get it prescribed consistently? I think you can because my cousin has been on it for fucking decades. I mean, you can be a Xanax addict. A yeah. functioning... And what, are you supposed to take it at night or can he take it all day? Do they give him I like a dose to function? I have no idea. I have no idea what he takes. He used to smoke a lot of weed. I think he does still. Um, he's got a lot of anxiety issues, I think. But instead of facing those issues... And going yep. to therapy, you know, he just medicates. I mean, it, whatever. It works for him. I mean, he's he's a functioning guy. He's a lawyer. You know, he does his thing. Right. Um, but I guess everybody's different. I know for a fact that if he if he could never stop taking his Xanax, it'd be cool. Like, if he skipped the Xanax for the day, he'd be fucked. Just like what? Just like the same thing that happens with people on the streets. Right. Except they can't go to the store to get their fix. They have to go to some guy. And then if that guy wants to screw them over that they buy from or they need to go to a different person because that guy goes to jail and they find a new link. And this new link, you don't know your source. You don't know what you're getting. You need your dose. You know, you can't blame these people because you can't blame your buddy for needing his Xanax. Yeah. You can't blame your somebody for needing their Adderall. And if they don't get it, it's not just the physical dependency. It's the emotional and mental dependency. I mean, people do not understand. We live and are surrounded by what we call drug addicts to the level of mm -hmm. no, it's no different. I've had friends that I found out 
actually had relapsed and they had been using heroin for three years. And I'm like, oh my oh, yeah. God, you were on heroin this whole time? I never knew. Yeah. I had a best friend. I had a best friend growing up uh, when I was like, from like 18 to, to 20, 21, one of my best friends, he was like a recovered heroin addict. And then one day he told me, he goes, dude, for the past year and a half, I've, I've been doing dope. I need help. And I stayed with him and like gave him like methadone wafers and oh, shit. shit. I watched him do his last shot up. Oh my God. I watched, I'd never seen anybody do anything like that. I watched yeah. him dissolve it on a spoon. Keep in mind at the time, I had never even smoked pot. You know? <laughs> I mean, this was a good friend of mine. We played tennis like every day. Yeah. Like we were like so close, man. And he did normal stuff. He had a normal job, his place. I mean, dude, one thing you notice about drug addicts, like you're at my place. I mean, it's, it's a little lax taking care of stuff. You know I mean? It's a, not messy, but it's like... Dude, they keep things tight. They have <laughs> their facial hair is trimmed up extra nice now. But it's it's funny. You realize the people who are on opioids, the people who are on amphetamines, mm -hmm. and it's no different than the people than lawyers, than lawyers you know, than politicians. What do we? Rush Limbaugh. That yeah. guy was on so much yeah. opioids or whatever. So many that what people think Trump's on stuff, right? What do they think he's oh, that on? He's got to be on speed. Has I mean, some kind speed. of speed. Yeah, I forgot what it was. They said they, they thought it was, it was Adderall. Mm -hmm. It yeah. was something. I think man. they thought they think they thought <clears throat> he was on Adderall. Oh, a lot of people take <clears throat> Adderall. A lot of people have prescriptions for pain, and then so essentially they're speedballing it. We there there's a large number of people who are on both amphetamines and opioids and then on top of it they're on other medications yeah. they're yeah. on whether it's a benzo i don't know what that is and we haven't really talked about drugs that in depth on this podcast it's an interesting thing to, to talk about i don't want to spend the whole time talking about it but when you really look at it like if somebody's listening and they don't understand you are surrounded by people who are allowed to get their fix but they have a serious problem and if only the other people that we cast aside, mm -hmm. that we say, not your addiction, no, not you, we don't, we don't help people out like you. I mean, yeah, you can maybe get hooked up with like a methadone clinic. Which is just another drug. Yeah, but it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah, it's right? not fixing anything. And that was, you know, here's what we talked about before too, like the war on drugs. So Ibogaine is yes. illegal, right? So if you want to go to Mexico to do an Ibogaine therapy, or Ibogaine treatment, you can. It's legal there. There are places you can go to Mexico if you want to kick opioids or whatever, or alcohol, whatever you're addicted to. And I know a guy that runs a, a clinic down there. It's got something like a 95% success rate. For those who don't know, say, t talk a little bit about Ibogaine. So Ibogaine is, comes from the uh, Iboga plant, which is an African plant. Uh -huh. And it's essentially, if you're, if you're an addict and you want to kick whatever you're on, uh -huh. You go to the, you take you do this treatment. Um, you take ibogaine, and what it does is it it basically gets you off the physical dependence of whatever drug that you're addicted to without going through those heavy withdrawals. So you know, like if you were on heroin and you just stopped, you would go through withdrawals. No, right. I've never gone through withdrawals. I don't know how long it takes, but I, from what I understand, it's one of the most brutal brutal things you could ever imagine going through. Yeah. When ibogaine, that doesn't really happen. And then you're with a therapist and they get you through it. I think the I think the treatments go from like a week to three weeks or something like that. And basically when you leave, you don't have the physical addiction to that substance anymore, whatever it was you're trying to kick. Now that doesn't mean you're clear because you can go back to your neighborhood and everyone else is, is drinking, you know, 40 ounces or fists of Jack Daniels 
it's very easy to slip back in that just from the For mental sure. part of it. But the physical addiction, it takes it away. So it's such, it has such an amazing track record of being successful, being affected, yet it's illegal in this country. And here's the shitter of it, okay? If you are wealthy, or even if you just have enough money to fly to Mexico to do this, you're good. But how many people can just fly to Mexico to do an Ibogaine treatment for three weeks? 1%, 2% of the population? And the most people that have addictions, I don't wanna say most people, but like a lot of people have addictions, particularly like alcohol, these are not wealthy people for the most part. Yeah, you know? So I love the idea of not only decriminalizing and legalizing, but figuring out how to make this work in a free market where it's not cost prohibitive to get access to this medicine. And that's the problem because there's a lot of money to be made in quote unquote, and I'm doing the air quotes for people listening to the podcast. Right. Treatment, you know? Right. Are you, are you treating somebody to get off, you know, so they get off this uh, substance? Or are you treating them so they have to maintain with your help for the next 40 or 50 years? Because that's where the money is. And that's a sick fucking thing. And mm -hmm. see, some people will say, well, that's capitalism. No, that's not capitalism, man. That's, 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 uh, that's immoral greed. Exactly. You that's know? an ethics thing. It has nothing to do with, you could, not nothing to do, but yeah, but it's not, that's not why. You could run an Ibogaine clinic in the United States and do it in a way so it's not cost prohibitive for people and still make a profit. Yeah. You know, it's just a lack of imagination sometimes. People get stuck in their ways. They're like, well, this is the easiest way to do it. Yeah. That's fucking lazy, man. I have, and I'm a, I am without a doubt one of the staunchest supporters of free market capitalism. I think there's absolutely no better, uh, there's, there's nothing better than capitalism to, uh, to, to, to better our lives if for a number of reasons. The problem is not capitalism. The problem is when people are lazy about it. I mean, there are plenty of companies that operate in a very sustainable, ethically, uh, you know, moral way. It doesn't make sense. Like very ethical manner, you know, and they make money and they're profitable, but their employees are happy, you know, and they're, you know, they, they, they can exist without fucking people over. Right. It is possible to do that. It's easier to do it the old fashioned way. Right. But, I mean, you're probably the same way. I mean, you're an athlete. Yeah. Athletes, the best athletes are not lazy. <laughs> you cannot be lazy and be an athlete. You can't. No, no, exactly. Yeah. You, in, literally, to, to, to be an athlete at a high level, you either need to be in your most athletic prime, like you can't have injuries, you can't have issues. You've got to be the most perfect athletic prime of your life. It only lasts for a few years without putting serious amounts of work in. Like peak high school, peak college, that's about it. As far as like people who can just get by. I mean, the best of the best still put in a lot of work, but some people can be at a, a top level and do that. But other than that, I tell people, you don't understand, like I'm always in practice mode. I am always thinking about stretching, thinking about doing a little workout, mm -hmm. like considering X, Y, Z. If I'm listening to podcasts, like I'm like, I need to listen to a jujitsu podcast. I need to listen to a strength <laughs> and conditioning podcast. Right. I need to pay attention to, I need to get this amount of sleep. Like, dude, it's, it, you can't take it far enough. So yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I get what you mean and how that, that applies to just, you, you can't be lazy and, uh, 
in in the the capitalist mindset and and thrive, but it really doesn't take that much gumption, I think, for the average person to get some momentum. Mm -hmm. You need some momentum going to like see the benefit of that sort of uh, I think system. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about that side of it well, to really. You know, it's it's. So sometimes, and it, I actually had this. I was on a, um, a podcast the other day about investing in, in psychedelics, and um, and they were talking about are there any psychedelics companies operating in a way that they're giving back? They're looking at social justice issues, social equity issues, racial equity issues, things like that. And you know, I said I don't really, I haven't really seen much there. And there's something to it because. There are people that want to do something equity-wise in terms of the indigenous cultures that have provided this medicine for so many years. Mm -hmm. You know, should they be included in the conversation? If so, in what capacity? Um, but it's still such an early industry that it, I think they're still trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And they have some companies that say, "Well, we're going to donate you know x amount of dollars to, to Maps," which is fucking awesome. I mean, Maps is like without Maps, we would not be where we are today yeah. in terms of psychedelics. But it doesn't have to be just money, giving money. So if you look at Method Man, he has his brand called Takao. I've been a consultant for those guys for two years. I mean, we started with very little money. And they're still like, they're, I think they're, they're profitable at this point, or almost profitable, and they're expanding, they're doing very, very well. But it's still, like, margins are still thin, it's a very lean team, but they figured out ways to give back. So like, when they launch a new product, um, they launch in minority-owned dispensaries. So minority-owned dispensaries get first crack. Right. That's because it costs you nothing to do that. You know, this year they're going to be um, going. They're going to be. They're going to because when they do some new hires soon, they're going to try to hire people that have been incarcerated for drug offenses. The idea being that, you know, people get out of jail and like how fucking hard is it to get a job after you've been in jail? And fuck the fuck the thing is, what if you're in jail? You just did five years because you got caught with like a fucking gram of weed or something you know what yeah. i mean it's like those people deserve a chance so to is like we want to give those people a chance because no one else is that's a way to give back that's that is being uh you know a, a forward thinker you know it's using your mind being creative how can we do look we don't have a ton of money right now just to, to donate but there are things that we can do using our our minds using our our ability to hire people you know, even like in terms of, I know the uh, the CEO of that company, like once a month, he and a couple of the people from the company, they help uh, give out food to the homeless. They don't like advertise, you know what I mean? They don't show up in like Takao t-shirts saying, look right. what Method Man's doing. They're like, we feel that, you know, we work in this community, we want to give back. So once a month, they take their Saturdays and dude, these guys are working six days a week as, as it is. But they take some time out of their week, you know, on Saturday, and they go and they do something good for the community. To me, these are capitalists, okay? And they and they and they're figuring out how to give back and do these things, do it right, mm -hmm. you know. And and I, I applaud them, you know, and I and not just because I work with them, I applaud them because, you know, they took the initiative. And really, mm -hmm. I think that's what it's about, right? It's just like, you don't have to hate capitalism. You can't blame the world's problem on capitalism. But what you can do is if you are really fired up about, say, you know, the fact that the batteries in your phone use cobalt, that's mined by child slave labor in, in Africa, well, there are 
you know, uh, mining operations in Canada and the U.S. that do the same thing, invest in one of those companies, you know, provide them with some capital so they can compete against these horrible operations in Congo. Right. You know, there's, and I've talked about that as an investor, um, and even in my portfolio, I have companies that are mining companies. You know, people say, well, aren't mining companies and, you know, an environmental hazard or something? There's nothing that we use today that doesn't require a material. So unless you want to go to an agrarian society, society and get up at five o'clock in the morning and fucking go take care of the farm every day, you've got to understand that in our modern society, there are things that we use and we rely on. Now you can source those materials in different ways. You know, if we source the materials from a miner who is responsible, pays a fair wage, doesn't fuck up the environment, let's fucking go with them. You know? Yeah. Um, I think again, it's just really about being just being smart and just t not being fucking lazy. I yeah. think, just generally speaking, I think you get this too. Like, I just I could be lazy. I mean, there's definitely days I come home from work and I'm just like, fuck, I am tired. You know, I had a hard workout today. I had to work late. I had a shitty day for whatever reason. I go home. I just want to fucking smoke a bowl and watch a movie. Right. So sometimes I can, but most of the time I got other shit to do. You know, and it's like, I'm not patting myself on the back or anything, but being lazy is no way to live. There's, I don't, I know people are like, ah, I don't want to do this. And they, they seem fine, I guess. But I guess for me personally, it's like, it's almost embarrassing. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> Dude, I, it, you know? It, you know, I, I get the same way and, uh, not in the same way how I said people just need to find that momentum, but but with, with laziness, I really think that, like the laziest parts of my life, I just started being lazy and I got adapted to it. And I became, once it was a few weeks of being lazy, it felt like I was that lazy person that I no longer was the person that could do all of the things. Like when I've had, it's been a long time since I've felt that way. But I can recall, once you go a week of being lazy, you can't fathom being as busy as you are when you're busy. Yeah. But when you're busy, you just keep piling it on. It's like a buffet of getting shit done. I don't get as much shit done. Like extra, I can get more extracurricular stuff done when I'm busy than when I'm lazy. Yeah. It oh, seems yeah. like when you have all the time in the world to do something, it's the death of a procrastinator. See, I procrastinate, but I can't procrastinate when I'm busy, typically. Mm -hmm. I got to squeeze it in. I got to get it in. But when I have all day or all weekend, or oh, all my weekends are free, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. Right. <laughs> right. You know, you don't do shit because you have all the time in the world. Uh, landscaping, I, in my winters, when when... I only did landscaping for work and I, uh, I remember in the winters there'd be like weeks where there wouldn't be any work. Now when I have a week off, uh, if I have a week off in the winter, I mean there's so much stuff right. that I do that it, it winds up being as busy as any other week. But there was a period of time, this is what it was, my winters I would feel lazy. Next thing you know, you're, you're gaining weight. You're do and you become that person that you're saying you're embarrassed to see. Those people are no different than us. They're not, they're yeah. not, there's nothing that makes us very marginal difference probably in, in, in like the genetic side and the mind. 
and the potential, but they have adapted to that lifestyle. Uh, something that I want, oh my hamstring came up. Uh, something I wanted to touch on Ibogaine, which is interesting. And you know, we talk about the psychedelics uh, a pretty decent amount here, is that it's not just something that physical, like it doesn't just curb the physical dependency. It has some sort of, in the experience, people often come away with the feeling of working out and not wanting to do their mm. addiction. I didn't know that. There's an extreme mm. psychological side. Now, this is something that a lot of people have experienced, and I've seen experience firsthand from DMT. And I'll tell you an interesting story is even my own dad, okay? Now, he's somebody that struggled on and off with, with functional alcoholism. And there's been a few times in his life where it's gotten bad to the point where it's a it's a pro, it's a big enough problem where things in your life are starting to go downhill, right? And he um, his big thing is that since he's been a, I mean he went a few years where he didn't drink, and then he went another year or two where he didn't drink, and as long as he's just drinking beer, he's a, the normal guy who likes to drink. Mm -hmm. He's not the one, you know, he's just would remind you of the average guy who drinks a lot of, that's a lot of people like to drink. We were just talking about how I saw the guy at the grocery store and he had the shirt, I play golf and I drink. <laughs> and he's not lying. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure that there's a beer by that guy 24 seven, right. especially if he's retired. He lives drinking. I guarantee you the guy I saw that. So my dad is just that person, but he has the ump and pep in his step like somebody like I do. So he gets a lot of stuff done. He's a hardworking dude. He accomplishes a lot. He works out, but alcohol can be a problem. When he drinks liquor, it can, it can make him a person that's less than desirable. He's not as, he's not as uh, nice and good of a husband. He's not, you know, he just, it's not extreme, but it's just less than desirable and it, and it worsens his character, right? right? DMT. I talked him into doing DMT. I think I, I might have told you this. I think you told me that, no. One of his big takeaways was that he needs to, if, he, if he's going to drink, he needs to make sure and be aware. And this is him talking. I didn't say it. I've never talked like He's never talked about this with his drinking before this experience. He goes, I really need to make sure that it doesn't affect me. It doesn't affect the way that I communicate and treat people. I need to like, yeah, if, if, I, if I'm gonna drink, I need to drink responsibly. I need to find a way to be a responsible drinker. It was like he saw all of the times, not all the times, <laughs> but he saw <laughs> some of the times where drinking led to a relationship issue led to an issue here. It led to him, you know, not working out, not being able to do X, Y, and Z. Whatever it did, he saw all of that in that moment. It was like his inner self telling him, this has been a problem and here's when it's been a problem. And all of that led into that moment and him feeling it. And I mean, since then, he, and he he's more open about it. Like he'll talk about his drinking in a way that he used to hide and not talk about. He'll say, oh, I can only have a few, or you know, yeah, I gotta be careful. Or he'll talk about it like, oh, I, I drank too much this night, I don't wanna do, he's more aware and more conscious of it and more open about it. 
It's not something he avoids, you know, see people, but so it makes you face yourself the way you've been. And that's just DMT. That's not Ibogaine. He's not the first person I've heard say that about DMT. Mm -hmm. I've had other people. I had a, a friend that it made him stop taking uh, uh, Adderall. He had an Adderall prescription. It's not, he said he didn't go through a withdrawal sort of thing from stopping it, but he had been Adderall and he said, he said he felt like anymore. It just made him manic. He said, even though it gave him the energy he needed, he hated the fact that the thought of not having Adderall before something terrified him. Wow. That he wouldn't be able to do, it made him feel weak. Mm. Like I'm this person who needs Adderall to do anything. Yeah. And that was his big issue with it. Smoked DMT, told him not to do Adderall, never done Adderall since. Holy shit. That's a psychological thing. So right. that, that just shows you the power of psychedelics, the power of Ibogaine, the power of DMT, the power of mushrooms. I mean, it's endless. If you just Google firsthand accounts, if you're looking for anecdotal sort of experiences of people, how did you cure your addiction? How did psychedelics affect your addiction? You're going to find you could write the thickest book on firsthand accounts of curbing or... Uh, redu reducing addiction. I used to have a big issue with food. I mean, you know, I, I, food was my thing. I used to be 340 pounds. I used to binge eat. It used to be a problem to where I wouldn't just gain 10, 20 pounds in the winter. Mm -hmm. I would gain, even after I lost all the weight, I was a yo-yo person, right? Dude, the second, the second I did psychedelics later in life, 27, mm -hmm. the second I did it, I was like, holy shit, you don't have to be so weak. You don't have to be so weak. Like, why do you gotta? Why do you gotta let it fuck up so bad when you eat? Why do you have to gain so much weight? Like, why on earth would you do that? Yeah. Like, why do? You, why is it that once you have this dessert on this night, or you make that one decision, that you follow this domino rally of downhill everything, of self hatred, of being disgusted by yourself, of just binging out every night, knowing that you're, you, you, first you tell yourself, oh, I'll wait till Monday to eat clean again and mm -hmm. do this. And then you just feel uncomfortable and more uncomfortable and you push it off and you push it off. And next thing you know, you've gained 60 pounds. Mm. You feel disgusting, probably all sorts of health issues. And, and you could take it further and further. Like, why are you doing that? What, why do you see it as, why does this decision, this one thing of eating some dessert, this one thing of this, why does it have to make you relapse so heavily into your old ways? And ever since then, I've had a significantly stronger handle on my eating. It was a, it was a psychological thing. So think about that for a second. So think about all the people in this country who are obese or who are diabetic and don't know why. Right? I'm not saying that DMT would do to them what it did for you. Everyone's mm -hmm. different. But there are laws in place. The U.S. government has laws in place that keep people from doing something that could help them. We talk about obesity being what the, what are the biggest killers of people in this country. I don't know what the number is, but it's, I think it's up there. Like number one or number two, something crazy like that. And um, if we really gave a shit we got to hold the government accountable for making these ridiculous laws, you know? Yeah. And, and, and again, this, we, you know, we come back to this a lot because, you know, again, kind of libertarian. I mean, when have you ever seen a Republican or a Democrat talk about this? Like, honestly talk about this, bring someone like you in to tell the story and be like, Hey, 
This could be something. We have researchers that are actively working this right now. If we, as the government, want to supposedly fix this problem, let's fucking stop outlawing this shit and let these researchers do what they do. Let the free market dictate what, what people are going to take because if it works, they're obviously going to use it. You know? Mm -hmm. I don't understand how anybody can look at the government in a situation like this and say, yeah, that makes sense. I don't care if you're a fucking Republican, a Democrat, if you're a liberal, conservative, this has nothing, this is just fucking common sense. And the fact that there's a law that says you, Mad Money Mike Turpin, <laughs> cannot do this, you know, yeah. and, and, and make your life better, to me, that is a form of abuse. That yeah. is a form of, of, uh, of violence. It really is because yeah. these laws are keeping you from doing something that will make you a better person, make you a healthier person. Why would you be opposed to that? Right. I, I have absolutely no idea. Um, at the very least, you would think that most people should be on board with the idea of psychedelics and, and, and alternative ways of curbing things like addiction is, is, and, and PTSD and depression and all of these things like, okay, maybe you don't think this is something the average person should just be able to do on the weekend with their friends mm. and go out of their fucking mind. Because it really is. I mean, it, you do good. It is. I understand that some people think that shit shouldn't be fucked with. The level in which psychedelics are, for those who don't understand what it's like to be in a psychedelic trance, you are literally in a non-human, non-earth, non-this dimension headspace. Like the mm -hmm. levels in which you can take it are fucking serious. You really can experience some stuff that is the brevity is thick. Right. The heaviness of experiencing something greater than this, something that feels infinite, these like, there are beings, there's a connection to everybody, you feel like you can see all of existence, experience through everything. To be a part of that, if you're talking to the average person and, and explaining psychedelics through that lens, mm -hmm. I understand them saying, yeah, maybe I don't wanna fuck with that. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe people shouldn't do that, right? But when you describe it as when you talk about the healing properties of, yeah, maybe my dad did see something that he just, he would describe as an alien and he would describe as two walls of psychedelic text and it scolding him about not, this is literally the experience. He didn't stay in the desk deck the last two weeks and he said he was going to do it. Why didn't you do that? This fucking alien beings. Don't <laughs> like that. You told uh, Joyce, your wife, you were going to do this, this, and this, and you didn't do it. And you were going to lie and make up an excuse and say, that's why you didn't do it. And, and really, and it made him be honest about all this stuff. And it, and it told him all this stuff. Now, when you hear that, and like I said, it made him think about and see and experience his drinking in a way that he had been lying to himself and not being honest about, right? Mm -hmm. It probably made him experience all sorts of things like that. Now, furthermore, Ibogaine, heroin addicts, boom, healed, good as new, PTSD. With MAPS, you brought up MAPS, mm -hmm. MDMA. People curing, I mean, if, if as somebody that it's spent a lot of my time feeling, I would say I'm somebody that has more of a, more of an authentic, maybe not a chemical imbalance, but like 
had under, I under, at the very least, I understand what depression feels like. I understand what trauma feels like at the very least. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I put any terms on it or take it further than that. There is something so undoubtedly healing about MDMA that people who've never experienced it just don't fucking get. They don't understand what it's like to take that and look at the person you're with and say, I cannot fucking believe life can feel this way. And it just could bring you to tears. The level in which you feel good, full of life, full of energy, mm -hmm. clear. It's not like a drugged out. Meanwhile, I could go drink myself into oblivion, <laughs> right. call, ruin everything that I have, make myself look <laughs> like a total ass. But no, I'm doing this other thing called MDMA that's making me get in touch with myself, with the world, and giving me the pat on the fucking butt and an energy to channel for the rest of my life. Like people are literally changed. People who come back from war, are literally changed oftentimes from these MDMA, uh, uh, you know, experiences that, that they're doing with therapy and stuff and, and, and right. psych, whatever that is. But they don't understand the healing properties and the nature in which you can be changed through experiencing life and getting a taste of this. So when you hear it from that lens and it's not just, oh, I acid and I saw eyes on the wall. <laughs> like, okay, maybe you don't right. think I should do that. Sure. Right. But there's more than the, 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 there's more than that hallucination. There's more than that confusion. There is an, there is a heavy layer of healing, of understanding, of uh, coming to terms with things and uh, being a more productive person for the environment. There's a reason some hippie type people say that everybody you know, like dose everyone, like, like, you know, <laughs> I always see the drugs, not bombs. Like if you ever yeah, see, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah, drop, yeah. drop acid, not drop, bombs. Yeah. 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 So it's like, there's a reason they're saying it. You have to at least hold a little bit of understanding that these people have been changed. They are a better person right. as a result of these things, which is something, how many people can honestly say that about alcohol? No. How many people are a better result of, of, of a lot of things that they do in their life? Of cheesecake. Dude, I always use cheesecake as the example. Like, hold on. You mean to tell me that you think that somebody shouldn't be able to have this experience on DMT, this thing that's in your brain that we always have that we're running on, or this, right. this plant, this mushroom that grows out of the ground that has a wide array of effects, but a lot of people could see the positive in it. What's the positive of fucking cheesecake? What if I what if I start eating cheesecake every day for the rest of my life? Might have a heart attack, <laughs> might form diabetes. What are the health risks with cheesecake? What are the positive and the negatives? What I might build up some sort of weird sugar dependency. It might make me remember like supersize me. What yeah, happened to that guy? Yeah. That was a month of eating McDonald's, right? Yeah. So like what would happen on, on a cheesecake life? That's very easy to do. It costs a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a financial burden to live off of, to have a fine, sophisticated palate of cheesecake, right? It has no soda, regular soda. Oh, what benefit comes from drinking soda all day long, right? Because I've been there. I used to be that when I was overweight. I would drink, and, and when it would come back cyclically, the second I would have one regular soda, I would tell myself, you're a soda drinker now. You know, that's the addictive mindset that yeah. people don't understand. That extreme form of addictive mindset, psychedelics undoubtedly cured for me. Yeah. I know it. 
it started with pot. Pot helped me. Pot definitely helped me see things from a little bit of that lens. I was thinking about addictive type behavior way differently. I, I, I came to terms with a lot of things, extremes. It definitely balanced me out, but it was mushrooms and DMT that that 100% changed the way I was and saw and understood addiction so clearly. As somebody that it had been, I'm about, and that's why I say like my father, same thing. We are just textbook addictive minded ADHD, you know, all of that. Like we have the same sort of energy when it comes to addictive sort of behavior, but we, we are also positive people. So we can also channel those things in positive ways. Psychedelics for me, has made me come to terms with it insanely. And I'm sure you've read stuff like that, right? Of course, yeah. But it's not just the physical side that people are unaware of. These drugs do things to you therapeutically, <laughs> emotionally, perspective-wise. You're seeing things from a clearer perspective. You're taking a step away from the the addict that 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 hides it it from itself. The addict that doesn't want you to take a look at itself and, and really understand, it's like the, the part of you that wants to lie to yourself, mm -hmm. that's gone. And I mean, might as well, while we're on psych, this is a crazy thing about psychedelics and this is like, and then we can talk about whatever or whatever, but, but this <laughs> is crazy because I think this is a, a good point and I don't say this enough and it definitely maybe helps people understand when you're talking about psychedelics and the way that it can change you, okay? You have a voice on the inside and everybody has moments, like let's say you're meeting your girlfriend's parents. You're going to run things through a filter. Right. You may be good at that filter, so you don't realize it, but you're not going to cuss as much. You're not going to be open about doing psychedelics with your father. You're not, going to, <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to be open. Now, what is that? It's easy to do it in that way, but let's say you're... Let's say it's like somebody's talking about something and you want to hide it or you want to make it look better. Let's say you're a kid and you got beat up and you want to tell everybody you're good at fighting and you won the fight, right? Mm -hmm. So you're running everything through a filter. There's the thing that really happened. That's just lying. But it can get even further that because a lot of people care about the way they impress you. So it's not just a matter of lying with the story. Now you have people that put on a show. Okay, what is putting on a show? I have person one on the inside and I have person two, the projection. At the very least, you need to be in tune with person one or you only become a projection, right? right? You don't know who person one is. What psychedelics has the ability to do, it makes you come to terms with person one, own a realistic amount of that person. Not fully, you don't need to just go out and say, oh, I love jerking off, watching midgets do this. You know, you, you keep the, you keep the right. lid closed, but, but it's a healthy amount of coming to terms and being open and honest about yourself. Mm -hmm. Where I, with, with a little bit of couth and a little bit of uh, respect and gumption and, and self, uh, whatever, dignity, there, there are things that you balance with it, but it removes the constant filter, it removes the constant projection, and it makes people come to terms with who they are, what they've been doing, and that voice that ultimately knows better. There's a person on the inside that knows better. Mm -hmm. You just would rather say, this is the problem, or you're this. And, and if there's anything that people don't talk about psychedelics enough, it is the, the, the coming to terms, which is the, the hardest. What's the first step of, of Alcohol Anonymous or any of those programs? Admitting you have a problem. That's what person one tells you when you get in touch with it. You already know you have a fucking problem. 
you already know you have the problems that you have. You spend money X, Y, and Z, you do this. Psychedelics and that stuff makes you think about those problems that you have control over. And there's so many of them that you have control over. The other beautiful side of it is that it makes you then not only focus on that, it gives you so much that you can focus on that you're not gonna worry about the bullshit that you don't have any control over. Right. You got enough shit that you got control over. You can't, you, you, it, it removes the excuses and the other things that were, you were using to prevent yourself from improving or potential mm -hmm. or it just gives you such a clear vision and such a clear sense of self and, and possibility. I think, you it's know, crazy. psychedelics and different types of psychedelics work, I think, differently for different people. Yeah. My experience is very limited. You know, I've right. done acid and I've done mushrooms. Um, I'm probably going to try MDMA very soon. That's it, you know. But I know with mushrooms, and I've always had different experiences, but um, the one experience I've had on more than one occasion is getting to this place where, like you said, like the bullshit, like that affects me from outside, it doesn't disappear, but it doesn't, it doesn't affect me anymore, at least for like a few months. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I have a really good journey, and then I won't think at all about it. I'm like, oh, that was an interesting journey. I didn't, I don't really hallucinate a lot, but like I just, it was good, and I, I communed with nature, and it, it was refreshing, and it was nice. And then for like the next month or so, I'll just, I'll, every now and again, I'll think I'm like, huh. Like some crazy shit's happening and it doesn't, it's not bothering me. So like in my line of work, so I, I make um, stock recommendations. So people listen to me and say, hey, you should buy this stock here, sell it here. And I have a pretty good track record. Like people typically make money with me, but we all have, nothing's 100%. You know, my track record is probably about 80, between 80 and 85%, which is really good. It's good, yeah. But I have times where I'm like, I just have miss after miss after miss. And I had one of those not long after I did my last journey that I, um, dude, it was horrible, man. I was like, cause I feel, that's why someone told me I'm not cut out for this kind of work because I feel responsible. Even though I have nothing to do, I'm just making up, I'm saying, hey, you should do this. You don't have to do it. Nobody's putting a gun to your head, you know? Right. It's your ultimate decision to, to whether or not you're gonna buy a stock. So I shouldn't feel guilty about it. But I do, like I feel bad that people are losing money because they listen to something I said. Now on the flip side, if they're making a shit ton of money because something I said, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then I forget about it. Yeah. It's the negative shit that fucking sits on me and eats away. And I know that typically, like if, if I, like when I took mushrooms last time for about a month after that, I noticed that I was, it wasn't affecting me as bad. Like I, it bothered me, but it, not to the point that it was like, depressing me dude like i have yeah. i've been in situations i've had fits of depression because like these stocks are tanking and i'm like oh my god these people are losing so much money i don't know what to do you know like i feel horrible there's nothing i can do every other person i work with they make fun of me they're like dude what the fuck's wrong with you you know like who fucking cares yeah you know i'm like i care you know because i just told them to do something they're losing money well they knew going in that they could lose money i get that right but talking about laziness to me that's a lazy mindset you know, you can talk about all the gains you have, but you have to come clean about the shitty ones too, you know? And yeah, yeah it, well, so when people are losing money, ah oh man, it just bums me out. 
and and it, it not that this is exactly what happened, but it falls in line with that idea of psychedelics came in. They said, Jeff, you don't have control over exactly. this, this, and this. You do have control over this. If you want to cross your T's and dot your I's better, here's the path to not being the lazy person about it and just saying it is what it is, but put your energy into productivity. There's nothing you can do about feeling bad. If you want to send messages and and try to let people know, I'm sorry this happened. I usually do well. This is a risk we take. I do Mm -hmm. feel bad about it. I would, you know, it it, it might give you options, but but just sitting there and feeling like a sad sack and letting that consume you is not an option. And it slows you down too. Like I, you know, I do I do weekly trades, but sometimes like maybe one week I can't find a good trade, so I'll say, okay, I'm gonna give you two trades next week because there's just nothing good this week. If I have like a consistent like three or four bad trades, like I might just be like, fuck it, I'm not doing one right now. Because I, I don't believe in myself. I don't believe in my ability to do this well. Right. You know, and that's a horrible fucking way to think. Terrible. Um, so it, it definitely helps. Yeah. Now, I don't, I'm not saying people should run out and get mushrooms, you know, because they think this is going to be the, right. do some fucking research on it, you know, figure out what it is you're putting in your body. Talk to people who have done it. Because I do worry that people that don't know what they're doing, they'll take too much. Maybe they're not in a right state of mind, maybe yeah. they're not in the right physical location. I know that if I take mushrooms and I'm in a high stress environment, it's the worst fucking place for me. Yeah. You know, like I need to be in nature. I need to be in a place where it's nice and clean and neat and shit is organized. Like that's just how right. I am. So I, I don't, I, I just, I don't believe in just people just being like, oh, fuck this. You know, I'm just going to take mushrooms or do DMT or whatever. Like, you at least think need, about it. They at least need to know that a bad that a bad experience or a negative experience is an option. Right. But it's important to let people know that an experience like you had happens. Like right. I had, like all these other people. Uh man, you know, lessens stress and you know of his job and enjoys nature and blah 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 and feels a little bit more comfortable for a few months on mushrooms oh end of the world right you know no i mean what happened to you what was the experience how did it affect you and let's compare that to other options on the table legal options and you start to realize oh exactly Right. So wait, all of these things can happen legally. Mm-hmm. I can do all of these things legally. I can go up and train mixed martial arts with Mike up there and get knocked out and get a limb broken potentially or or whatever. I can eat cheesecake and drink soda all day. I can go to my doctor and get prescribed this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. I can also go get blackout drunk mm-hmm. and and hey, if anything bad happens, he was just drunk. Of course that's gonna happen. It's no big, it's not him. It's just alcohol, <laughs> it's normal, it's a good old time. I've heard that, this is, this is so crazy. I had a buddy um, and he sent me this thing. He goes, I see you're training jujitsu up at this school I used to go to. He only knows me through Instagram, but he's a fr- been a friend since I've had this account and we've been, we talk a decent amount, send some different advice. He's into psychedelics, he's into fitness, he's into jujitsu. He goes, I used to train there, but I have an experience with the owner. And he, he, I think he probably hates me, man. We used to train, we had a night at a party. I just got so drunk. He wouldn't even tell me what he did. Mm. He, this is what he said. He, he didn't even want to tell me. He's like, I've seen you been training there a few times, but I had to tell you because it's a coincidence, but I wanted to warn you that if you say you know me, 
this guy might think like, well, that guy's a, not, I'm a, but he, he said that maybe if I, he, I mentioned that I knew this guy, that it wouldn't go over well. Man, not how he would think of me, but you get the right. idea. Well, he made it sound like he did something awful. Uh-huh. Awful, 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 dude. He, he sent me a video of him telling me this, right? He's Shit. like, look, dude, this is what happened. It was a night. I, I got blackout drunk. I used to have like a really bad drinking problem. I, I know there are nights where people act like assholes or do whatever, but I did some next level shit this night. I only remember so much, but I know a few things in my head that happened where I'm just like extremely embarrassed about it. He stopped training at that gym and uh-huh. went somewhere else after this. And it like led him to, that like moment was huge. You ready? I go to the gym. He, so he told me all that with the permission then to say that I knew this guy. Right. It's a crazy coincidence. I know this guy who now lives in Europe who's saying he used to train in York, Pennsylvania, you know, you might as well just say, hey, I know this guy. You trained together all the time. You were on the same team. You were at a a party together, right? I tell the guy, okay, I tell the owner of this gym. I say, yeah, dude, and he told me that you might feel weird about me knowing it or whatever. I tell him kind of the context in which I was told things. The owner of the gym laughed and goes, that was just being, that was, he goes, that was a good time. He was just being a drunk guy. And that was it. Didn't care at all, right? Uh-huh. So this guy acted like such a piece of shit in his mind right. and did so many terrible things. But hey, it's just alcohol. Like the owner of the gym didn't even think anything of it. Right. We don't think anything of it when people act like crazy, manic, I hate you. Like I, I, I've had ex-girlfriends back before I ever had any alcohol. And still to this day, because I've only taken it to such a, a level, where I'm like, oh my God, you're so mean when you're drunk. You're so mean. I can't believe how it like makes you just like heartless and cold. And like, I don't like the way you are when you wow. get really drunk, right? But that's okay, because it's just alcohol. Yeah, but I was just drunk, you know? But, but meanwhile, you with mushrooms, people with that, that is an experience that we shouldn't have, yeah. but we should do this other thing and why? why? And why? There's two reasons. Like you said, the stigma. And where's the stigma come, come from? Propaganda. Where did the propaganda come from? The fucking government. Boom. That's it. That's 100% it. I mean, I don't know how. And like you said, this transcends Democrat. This transcends Republican. It transcends politics. It's so, it's so obvious. Like, I, th- I think it was, it was good to lay it all out from the angles in which we did, some experiences, some things like that. Because anybody listening to this, you know, when it comes to the war on drugs and all that, there's no way. Like, what is your argument? How could you debate? A, like, you know, how could you frame a case? It's, it sounds so stupid because, mm-hmm. like, I feel like this is like a high school argument to be like, well, alcohol is worse than pot or whatever. But how could you frame an argument for alcohol, mm-hmm. for Adderall, for Xanax, for all of these things, and then not find some sort of platform, some sort of avenue? Maybe not just buy, take it, and go do what you please, but like, even a therapeutic setting, we don't support Ibogaine. Even in a therapeutic setting, right. it's extremely hard to find people who are willing to, you know, think MDMA treatment for for veterans and, and people who have extreme PTSD who have a high success rate. This is like the, the number, the most successful, like, 
as far as as far as the the evidence goes, it seems like this is like the biggest evidence or or highest percentage chance of curbing PTSD, depression, addiction, all of these things is psychedelics, right? But no, we right. can't do that. You can't go to a doctor. You can't go to a clinic for a week and and take this stuff. What? How is that a thing? Or what's the what? Yeah, you know, again, like what's worse? Like, say you're addicted to heroin. What's the worst thing that can happen if you go do an ibogaine treatment? It doesn't exactly. work. Exactly. Well, nothing changed then. Exactly. You know what is what so bad is going to happen? It's crazy. It, it's definitely what I think the biggest problem is that. The, pe- the people who are a part of the government and different political pockets that do know better, they keep that as their individual identity and not their political identity. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, yeah, you might run across somebody who knows better, who works at a university, who writes for a paper, who's a part of the Republican Party, who's a part of the Democrat, that, that they do, that they're a doctor, they're at Hopkins, they're at this but so few of them are willing to take it further than their own personal opinion. Most, a lot of people individually know better, but there's not a collective that knows better. That's what politics does a lot. Like rallies, you have these individual ideas, we all have these things, we're gonna do them together, we're gonna stand for them together and Mm -hmm. unify. Libertarian does it with their views on on, nonviolent crimes, all this stuff right or victim victim related crimes the same thing should be done with the war on drugs in a a, a way that unifies right. the individuals there should be a push there really should be and you know it's funny if you think about it like say if someone was running for office like say if I was running for office and I came out and they said what do you what do you think we should do about the drug problem like my response my first response would be decriminalize all drugs and I'll, I'll elaborate on that after I say that. Yeah. If I were to say that, like within 10 minutes, be like, Jeff Siegel wants everyone to be on drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's how they position it. it it's so, it's in, when I think, okay, so, so Ron Paul many years ago talked about this, but decriminalizing drugs, all drugs. And he got ha- hassled from both sides. So the Democrats were just like, wait, but drugs are a problem and it's, it's affecting our communities. You know, why would you want to make it accessible to people? And then the Republicans, most Republicans, they just were silent. They didn't say shit, mm. you know, because they didn't want to agree with him, but he was a Republican, so they didn't want to argue with him. Mm-hmm. You know, it will never fucking change unless we get a third party. And I don't know if it's doable or not, but someone's got to fucking stand up. Because if you're a Democrat and you say support decriminalizing drugs, the Republicans are going to say you're trying to get everybody hooked on drugs. And if you're a Republican, you say, I want to decriminalize all drugs, then the Democrats are going to say, you're trying to get everybody hooked on drugs. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it may be. It's the crazy. The only way I think I see at this point, in, in the absence of a third party, is the way we're doing it now, which is individual states legalizing uh, or decriminalizing. So that provides somewhat of a hedge. And then, in terms of psychedelics, you just continue to have the F- them doing FDA trials, which does exist now. We have to keep pushing those, you know, right. maps are doing those and tons of other companies that I personally invested in that do that. Um, but we cannot, re- we cannot wait for the jackass and the elephant to get together and be like, yeah, this is, we should definitely decriminalize. Never will fucking happen. Ever. It Never. won't. Mm. It just won't. I mean, not to sound defeatist. No, no, I'm just being honest. It, yeah, well, I mean, it, 
you, that that's the case with a lot of things, but it's it's crazy. This, like we said, there, there's a strong reason why this is one that we both feel so adamant about, and uh, it is. It it's not that it's hopeless, but it definitely takes people having the conversations. It'll take a lot of things. It'll take. I don't know what platform, like like if this was the 90s, I would have said, ah, oh, it'll take a good Oprah episode and like some right. Larry King or something. I don't right. know. But like it's going to take expose sort of things. It's going to take findings. I mean, Johns Hopkins probably is going to play a role. They're very involved. And I don't know what the future of it. It would definitely take maybe other countries as, as Canada and Sweden or whatever, all these different countries that are being more liberal about it. Maybe, I, if I had to guess the way it'll come to, mm -hmm. uh, not that I don't have hope for the third party, and this podcast is a hope for the third party, so hopefully people like libertarians or, or somebody can get something done when it comes to the war on drugs for sure. I would imagine that it's going to be something that is influenced or inspired by other countries mm -hmm. on us. So it would definitely take, that's what I think. Yeah, it's I weird know. because I think actually this is one of the instances where the U.S. is actually a first mover because, yeah. we, because we are seeing FDA clinical trials. So in the, from what I understand, people I've talked to in the industry, they're like, look, the EU is not going to let this happen. And they will maybe one day, but it's not okay. going to happen anytime soon. It's a little different in the U.K. There's stuff going on in the U.K., um, but they're also not part of the EU anymore. Well, where it's legal, do they just not do clinical trials? Because there are areas it where it's legal. In the, so in the Netherlands, they do. In the Netherlands, it's actually recreational. You can get, get um, mushrooms, not, well, they, not mushrooms, it's um, the kind of mushroom, truffles. So it's like oh, yeah. truffles you can get. You can just buy them in a dispensary, um, completely legal. Right. Um, and there are places that are more laid back about it. They are doing trials in, in England. Um, and that we're doing a lot of trials here in the U.S., Canada, we're starting to see some instances where individual provinces want to say we want to decriminalize all drugs. So that could happen. We're seeing that in certain um, uh, cities and regions here. California is probably the closest right now. It just passed the Senate in California where they would decriminalize a number of drugs. MDMA, mushrooms, LSD. Right. I think Ibogaine is in there too. So it's, it, again, I think it's going to roll out similar to the way we saw cannabis. But we're still so far behind. A lot of people are suffering while we wait, which is unfortunate. Canada, uh, Canada has something with. I have friends that are in Canada, and you can go and buy mushrooms. It's a weird thing. So I think it's in British Columbia. So it's technically, I think, federally illegal. But you know, like in BC, like you could fucking buy weed anywhere in BC. For I, years. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I'm not. I'm not I don't. Under, I mean, I hardly I'm, know American politics. So <laughs> Canada. Well, I don't really understand how it works either. But I know, like. <laughs> Fucking 15 years ago, I could be in BC and just fucking buy weed anywhere. It was technically illegal. Yeah. So um, I don't really understand how it works, but I know that once the federal government can legalize weed, yeah, then it, it changed. So I suspect something similar could happen. But really, I think that the U.S. has taken the lead here, um, not the government, but individuals. That's the other thing, though. So that's the thing. Like, yeah. Maybe a university, maybe a, uh, a hospital or whatever. Or individual, individual entrepreneurs. Right. You know, people are saying, look, we can, we can fix a problem and make money. And that's why you're seeing literally hundreds of millions of the dollars. The government's going to be very behind on that sort of thing, yeah. right? I don't think it's going to immediately affect our I, – I don't know though. The, the federal level, no one's going to tackle because they'll be too afraid. But 
under the under the if you peel back the onion, the, the layers of the onion, you'll see the FDA is actually doing doing clinical trials. Okay, the FDA is involved. They're not advertising. I guess things it. are getting legal. I mean, yeah, I say all that, but yeah, things are changing legally. Like you know, the Oregon and all that. I mean, there is stuff happening. Mm -hmm. DC. Um, so who knows? I, for my sake, being in Maryland, I, I just hope to God we're, we're next because I mean I don't have a medical card for for marijuana, but mm -hmm. like it's it would be super cool to just know that mushrooms and weed are at the very least decriminalized right. for somebody like me. Like that that's a relief, you know. Well, yeah, I mean it should. Be, I mean, I even talked to I've talked to a number of cops about this too, and yeah. I've never met a cop. Who was like, yeah, I love going after dudes taking mushrooms. Give yeah. a fuck about that shit. They don't. You know, unless they want to fuck with somebody. They, exactly. No, I mean, it, it would just be an add-on. It, it's, it's like, you already are this, so we're going to care about the fact that you have mushrooms too. Or I just want to fuck with you, and yeah. I heard that you have some weed on you. Yeah. Which, honestly, like if you, if, you, if you were to go in, and we talked about this earlier, if you go to the black community... Uh, statistically, if you pull over a black man, I suspect, and I'm not sure about this, but I suspect statistically there's a pretty good chance that that person's going to have weed or weed paraphernalia or even the scent of weed somewhere on them because it's very yeah. common in the black community. That, that's, that's reason enough to search the car. That's yeah. reason enough to put somebody in handcuffs or plant something on them. That's true. I mean, yeah, and that, that's a big fact. And it, it, it is, I mean, yeah, you're definitely right there. I know a lot of... Uh... It's so funny. I literally was listening to a podcast the other day. Um, it was an older Mike Tyson episode, and they were they were describing trying to explain to white people how weed is different for black people. <laughs> and it was like Mike Tyson and a guest, like you guys don't understand. Black people can they can just smoke. It don't hit. It don't hit them. Like I'd be smoking with white guys, and they're getting all fucked up. And he's like, you know, he's like, it's just normal. It feels good. Now keep in mind, this is coming from Mike Tyson, but right, right. yeah, but it's just so funny to hear that cultural it made me chuckle to just listen to these guys talking about how like yeah yeah black people we don't get affected by pot like you guys we're fine when we're stoned and all that yeah and it's funny to think of the cultural side of that stuff and then yeah i mean you know it's an easy way to target black people yeah it's an easy way to yeah it, it opens the door it's mm -hmm. the first step to being a dick yeah easily <laughs> yeah. it makes it very easy to fuck with people we were talking about the thing in Ocean City, Maryland, where it's uh, oh, yeah. a little of the vape on the boardwalk or something, and these guys were vaping, and cops were like, nope, and they tased them and beat the shit out of the guy, and, and I mean, Reason wrote about it, Foundation for Economic uh, Education wrote about it, like, a lot of libertarians are pointing at this and saying, look, you know, this is the result of these absurd laws. Mm -hmm. Some kid just got the shit kicked out of him, for what? Because mm -hmm. he was vaping. Outside, you know, yeah, it's just so absurd. And we, I mean, we've had this conversation. We'll probably continue on this conversation. The absurdity of drug laws. Um, but I maintain that one of the reasons these drug laws exist is just gives law enforcement an, an opportunity to fuck with people they want to fuck with. That's that's a good uh, that's a good way to word it because we we didn't hit that we didn't touch on that wording earlier when we were talking about the drugs and how mm -hmm. that leads to so many issues. But yeah, it allows somebody to be a dick if they want to be a dick. And it allows them, it's a gateway. It's a gateway <laughs> to, to a lot of things, man. And it just, 
I think a lot of cop, a lot of people can use it that way. I've heard a lot of cops tell me that. Like, I mean, they're honest about it. That like, like dick cops love using that. Even just oh, yeah. back when back when smell was enough. It smells like well, weed. That's you, enough you, to search a car. It smells like pot. You know? Yeah. How the fuck do you even know what pot smells like? like I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, like, is it that distinct? Like, how often do you walk in a room and you're like, it smells like cookies, and you're like, oh, no one's baking in here. Huh? Weird. You know? Like, <laughs> you don't know that. Just be. Come on. <laughs> but here's the irony of that. If police were part of their training was to do mushrooms or MDMA <laughs> and go through a therapy. You know, they would become better police officers, most likely. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be funny. It's a part of your training. I know a guy, this is this is extreme. You can dig it in all sorts of extreme levels. But again, I mean, I only, in a world that this was the case, I don't know how different things would be and how much worse it would be. But it's just, it's a pretty juxta, it's a pretty thorough juxtaposition where I want to say, I don't necessarily agree. But he said that kids should learn how to trip in school with the parents permission with the school that he thought that like once a year or whatever that like the kids i don't know about that. i know dude i was like your brain is still forming. i know that was the <laughs> other side of it is somebody who intentionally like the idea of waiting till I was older. I was like, that sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. Plus you can't relate. It's, it's, no, I don't agree with that. But the only yeah. way I could <laughs> see that working is like maybe in extreme instances. Like it may be yeah. like there was a kid who was suicidal, extreme, you know, um, or treatment resistant depression. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting work being done, research being done now um, using psilocybin for traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Um, you know, perhaps that could be a thing, a rare instance. I know a family that, I mean, it's, I don't agree with it, but I don't think poorly of the family and mm -hmm. I, I love them. They're, they're, everybody in the family is, you know, friends with me and I, I love the kids, they're great kids, but they have, they have, they have a couple boys and, um, you know, when the, when the boy, one boy was maybe maybe just turned 14 and the other one's 16, maybe even 13, 15. Homeschooled kids, smartest kids you could ever meet, mm -hmm. hardest working, like they have all their their shit in order. I've never they, met a dumb homeschool kid, ever. Dude, these, <laughs> these kids are like, you would just be blown away mm -hmm. by the manners and the nature and the mm -hmm. love that this family has. Yeah. The dad is a great guy. They're both reformed addicts. They don't, you know, but as a family one time, and I think they've done it maybe two or three times by now. God, I don't want to give away too many hints. Not that they're going to get in trouble or something. Right. But, but I mean, um, they have eaten mushrooms together Oof. as a family. And I think it was as young. I mean, when I first heard it, dude, I didn't like it. When I first heard that that happened, I was like, oh, God, I can't believe you're telling yeah. me this. And I can't believe you're doing that. My big thing is, why are you willing to take that legal risk? Like, why are you yeah. even willing to run the risk of getting parental issues. But then again, you know what my second thought was? Not at the age of 13, but I know a lot of parents, seniors in high school, even juniors in high school, they know that their house is the place where all the kids drink. Yeah. They don't care. And then they make arguments. Well, they're gonna do it anyway. So that's what these parents said is, I know that they're both interested in doing it. They know that we've done it. They like psychedelic-like stuff. They listen to Joe Rogan. They're in. They're smart, advanced kids who want to experience it. They want to be safe about it. They want to do a small I amount. Mean, they want to, yeah. the more you think about it, you're like, 
the more I've thought about it and the more also I've seen them progress. This was a few years ago. It's not like anything bad really happened. Right. I've gotten to know the family better. I don't think distinctly poorly of it. I don't distinctly support it. But how often you know yeah. that there are a lot of people out there who let kids drink at their house oh, yeah. underage. I don't know. I guess I should say that I don't know enough about the brain chemistry to know if it yeah. does affect kids the same way. And I'm sure everyone's different. So maybe maybe some kids, it's okay. I don't know. I don't know enough. My gut tells me no, but yeah, me, that's me based too. on me being a fucking idiot when I was 14. And if I would have done mushrooms at 14, it would not have been good. The saving grace is like, I thought about it like this. Like, I would never want a kid of mine to be a pothead at a young age yeah. that does, hasn't gotten a career going or hasn't gotten some sort of momentum or something. I would never, I, I would never want them to just know that my 14 year old kid was fucking around, not doing anything, not doing anything with their life and just smoking pot all day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would yeah. hate that. But you got a, a good kid, like a good, strong-minded, determined-driven kid who wants to eat mushrooms like once every six months to a year. And it's like they want to be cautious about it and they want to be in a healthy environment and they want to do it with their family. They want it to be like a, a good, positive thing. Right. They want to like see it that way. It's like, huh, wait. It's, I mean, it's not like they're doing it every day. Yeah. I'll tell you this. I would support I, – I, in my mind – I like the idea of that over saying, hey, letting them drink every weekend oh, yeah. at, you know, even 15, 16, that's a normal age to drink. You know, I feel like if I had access to data on what that does to a child's brain, right. and that data said it's safe, why should I have a problem with it? They want to do it in a safe environment with their parents. Right. You know? They're homeschooled kids. They're already weird. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see data on what it's like to be a homeschool kids. Dude, I have a friend, she homeschools her kids mm. and they are, the, they're so smart and like you said, so well-mannered. They play piano, they do all kinds of things. I mean, they're very active in all kinds of yeah. life, you know. Um, the downside is she's an evangelical, so there's a lot of Bible thumping around there. Oh yeah. So it's, she and I actually don't really talk anymore and it's unfortunate but it just kind of got to the point where a lot of it came down to her talking about um, the whole thing about, well, the Bible, it says you shouldn't be gay or whatever. And I'm just like, I have so many gay friends. Yeah. And, and I have so many gay friends that almost killed themselves because they grew up with this shit. Yeah. You know, and that really bothered me. And I talked to her about it. I said, listen, you know, what if you're one of your kids is gay? Oh, well, I would still love them. Okay, that's fine, but but you still disapprove of that lifestyle, right? You say that it's wrong. Well, Jesus says it's wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so you say you love your child if your child is gay, but you tell them that they're still committing a sin and they're gro growing up in a very religious environment. Do you think that's going to fuck with their head a little bit? Do you mm -hmm. think that might depress them? Do you think that might put them in danger? No, because, you know, Jesus... It will that they have a strong belief in, in Jesus and they understand that suicide is wrong. Okay. Mm. That kind of shit, dude. It's tough. I understand everyone's entitled to their opinion, but when you start saying shit like that, it's your kid, it's your you know, it's your decision, but I can't be around it. Yeah. I'm not into the whole 
damning things or people. Yeah. Or, you know, um, obviously I'm not. Uh, I think that's that's a pretty tough thing. But yeah, and that's huh, we'll save religion for next week. <laughs> you know, the funny thing I always thought the funniest thing was about um, a good friend of mine I went to high, went to college with. He moved to North Carolina and he had this big birthday party and he invited everyone to come down for his birthday. But I think it was like his 30th birthday party or something. So uh, he invited all these people and when he came out, like a lot of people were just like wouldn't talk to him anymore. And like I didn't, get, I kind of knew anyway. I kind of figured. Um, but I went down to this party and we went to this bar. It was a gay bar, so like I'm like the one, you know, straight. So, dude so there. what year was this? Uh, uh, this was in, uh, two. Thousand. Okay, so that was a different era because I was because nowadays it's not as big of a deal. To come yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Typically, back then in those circles. Different. Okay, it was still a little weird. Yeah. Okay. And I remember this one dude that was there, and he was like, uh, he's like, listen, he's like, I know you're not gay. He's like, but I think you have the most beautiful eyes. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, thanks, you know. <laughs> um, and then he started hitting on me a little bit. He's like, well, how do you know? You know, how do you know you wouldn't want to be with a man? You know. I was like, well, look at it like this. I'm like, if you look at if you look at a vagina, like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? He's like, that's disgusting. And I'm like, that's exactly how I feel about dick. <laughs> that's like, a great way I'm to like, put it. To it's you just like, is... I think I'm like, I yeah. think it's the most disgusting thing in the world. I don't even want to touch my own dick half the time. You know yeah. what I mean? And he just laughed. He's like, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I always describe it like this. Like, it's a simple litmus test. Both men and women have asses, and I think the female ass is the most attractive thing I've ever seen. And the thought of a man's ass makes me want to puke. <laughs> That's like completely basic. Like, okay, all right, dude. I spent like we were at that bar for like three hours. I spent pretty much the entire night in that bar watching chicks make out. Like, yeah, oh, oh, awesome. oh, dude, gay guys love me, man. Every I have I have fan like friend uh, friends fans things from like the the psychedelic athlete thing. Uh -huh. Oh, I have I have a dozen gay dudes on there who cool as shit. Only a couple of them ever get to the point where it's like, all right, dude, like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gay. Like, I don't want this to be like a flirt fest every time you talk to me. And like, you know, like, do you don't have to keep checking in to make sure I'm not gonna, you know, to see if I'm gonna flirt back or be weird, or, like unveil some level of gayness that I haven't un unveiled. Like, like, okay, let's be just be cool. <laughs> but but I like, worry. But yeah. that's the thing, though. It's like I don't care. I go again. We've had this conversation. I don't give a fuck what you do. As long as you're not hurting anybody, yeah. it's your life. You decide what you do with your mind and your body. And when my friend who I was telling you about, who interesting is a pretty hardcore Republican, and we had talked about politics too, and you know, she was um, very pro-Trump, and which I thought was hilarious because I'm like, he embodies everything that you're supposed to hate. Right. Right? Oh, but he's gonna change Roe v. Roe v. Wade, and that makes it all okay. Like, ah, that's why people okay. vote. How many, I always say, how many, like, if you polled racist, typical, the most stereotypical Republican people mm -hmm. that you could, I use racism as if that's the most stereotypical thing about Republicans. It's not, but, but if you took the most textbook anti-left, uh -huh. most textbook right person, but plop them in a union job, where do they vote? Almost, I bet you a lot of them vote Democrat, yeah. right? At least historically when it would benefit unions. Wouldn't you imagine? I know a guy who voted for Barack Obama 
because he is in a union and that's what you do when you're in a union. I don't know enough about it, but I assume that like at the very least it is. It's one little voting point. Why would somebody vote for Trump? Right. Boom, because that that is the level in which people vote. It's scary, but like one little thing is something that's all some people care about. How many people only care about racism when they vote? Well, that's a very good point. But I just realized had Donald Trump come out and they said, the first thing I'm going to do when I become president is I'm going to decriminalize all drugs and end all my drugs, he would have gotten my vote. And I fucking hate that guy. Dude, he would have gotten so, he would have gotten everybody's vote who didn't vote for him. <laughs> like, Probably, literally, yeah. everyone who knew better than to vote for him would be like, you know what, I think I'm going to vote for that guy. I mean, if it's, <laughs> I mean, it's such a big, big issue for me, I'm like, yeah, you hey, know, I, uh, maybe what'll change the, the the look on drugs would take one of these outspoken Donald Trump like people that go about it differently. Whether it's The Rock, whether it's a, mm-hmm. an Oprah type, per- not that Oprah's the the person, but I, I said her name earlier. But like, it might take a person who's willing to get into politics, an Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. or a Jesse Ventura, who has extreme celebrity, but is also like, hey, dude, drugs ain't bad. That might very much shake things up because it's yeah. it's not impossible for somebody like that to become the president. Donald no, Trump it's clearly not. I think it's going to happen again. I think we're going to start seeing it more common yeah, that celebrities right. become president. That's kind of scary. At the very least, like <laughs> like one fifth of the time or something, you know. Like I think it's going to be the, we're going to see some non politicians who get in yeah. on celebrity clout, but. That might it didn't necessarily help us in a lot of ways with Donald Trump, right. but it might really help us with a lot of things. That could really shake things up the way the way the country's viewed and the future of the country, and it might pave the way and flick some dominoes. That that maybe that that's if it, if it can't be the third party, and hey, it might be under the thing of a third party. It might be a celebrity who who is who is a libertarian. It might mm-hmm. be somebody because there are, there are a lot of people. I listen to podcasts. So many people say they're libertarian, but they just, they don't do anything about it. Right. But I hear it a lot and it's getting more and more popular. You're going to get Joe Rogan level type people eventually who are probably going to be outspoken about politics who are maybe they'll, they'll run under independent, but they'll probably be very positive about libertarianism and right. very positive about drugs. It would be very cool to see someone get elected and then while they're in office, change their party affiliation to Libertarian. That would be interesting. (laughs) Has anyone ever changed their party affiliation while in office? I don't think so. Huh. I bet if they did, they would get fucked. You can't do that. See, you gotta have someone to to win the presidency and not give a fuck about his or her party affiliation. Yeah. If that were to happen, I bet you could get a lot of shit done. Absolutely. Good shit anyway. That that's that's one of the biggest problems with the two party system is that it's so much about your party and your identity. You become a puppet for your party and the the. They fully know. admit it now. I mean, they fully admit it now. You'll see, like some whether it's Democrat or Republican, they'll come out and they'll be like, "Well, this is what they'll fucking say. This is what's best for the party." You should be yeah. fucking embarrassed beyond belief if you are a politician. Isn't and that what propaganda is? This is yeah. It's isn't like, that isn't that a juxtaposition to things that you shouldn't do, but and it's a propaganda like thing? Yeah. Yeah, I don't Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Well, look, 
we, yeah, we've gone on for a while, and I get that tends to happen when we talk about drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I find it a fascinating yeah. stuff. Time just starts. <laughs> <laughs> it melts into we're having like flashbacks, <laughs> dimensions. So many things have just been triggered. <laughs> this, every time we talk about drugs, my mind is just like blowing up with triggered memories. And <laughs> it's like if I go to a party and someone does start talking about something I'm interested to, I will fucking get sucked into that conversation and yeah. won't let it die. Well, it's good because we're in person. It's good to have one like this where we just yeah. kind of get a feel for this and I think it'll carry over into Zoom things you know to have this conversation will affect the podcast when we're not in person so um, and we'll talk about this more too because I know Judd is interested in coming back to talk about yes. specifically talk about psychedelics um, which I think will be great um, and I've been talking he's to amazing. people that are yeah. yeah he's great he's a great talker very knowledgeable I very love smart. talking to him you hearing yeah. him talk we could do a lengthy one or a two-parter or whatever with yeah. a guy like that yeah. yeah, that, that, it's always, it, that's the thing too, like we could always potentially do like a two-part episode oh, with sure, somebody yeah. like him. And I actually at some point would like to get people on here that don't agree with us on things. I thought about that today. Wouldn't it be cool to have a conversation? It doesn't need to literally just be about the drugs, but right. my idea was maybe having a dialogue with with the any man, the regular person who has a stance on something. Yeah. It doesn't need to be the whole episode, but hey, we phone in and we have a 15, 20, 30 minute conversation about why the average person thinks that we sh that this should be illegal mm -hmm. and we open a dialogue about it. Yeah. You know? That's an interesting point, yeah. The any man, you know, just an average person. And I would, but at the same time, I'd like to get people on both sides too. I would love to get someone in here who's extreme right Yeah. and someone who's extreme left. Yeah. Not to start trouble. In fact, almost to say, there's got to be one thing we can agree on. And then once we find that thing, we talk about how we can initiate change in that yeah. one topic. It the would be ground. interesting to me. The common to ground. Yeah. There's more common ground than people realize. Yeah. We just got to yeah. put the politics aside. Cool. It's been a great conversation. Indeed. Anything you want to add? Nope. We are awesome. good. That's for today. Um, be well. Be free. Until next time. Boom.